0: well, good morning, friends. Welcome to chapel this morning. We have the privilege of welcoming Reverend Connor Underseth. He is an associate pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in La Mesa, which is a PCA here in town. He was born and raised in North County, San Diego. He graduated from Westminster Seminary, California in 2018 with an MA in Theological Studies and an MA in Biblical Studies and he's currently working on his THM at Puritan Reform Seminary. He's a surfer, married with two kids, and we are delighted that you're with us this morning, brother. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you all. Uh, I heard that the piano player was sick, so we were going to maybe try to improv a a cappella hymn or psalm, and I am thankful that I don't have to lead that. That would have been more of a curse than a blessing for you all. So again, it's great to be here. Thank you, uh, Reverend Tedrick, for inviting me. A uh, quick plug, we are hosting New Life Presbyterian Church of La Mesa, a lunch for you all this morning, or this afternoon, to hear about our church, our ministries there. So I want to also plug that as well. If you have not signed up, feel free to do so. So if we want to turn in our Bibles, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. We'll look at John chapter 14 and those opening verses uh, from chapter 14 verses 1 through 14. So let us hear God's word for us this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thus far, God's word for us today. Let's pray. Well, our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we can spend just these Brief moments reflecting on your word and reflecting on Christ's call to believe in him. We ask that your spirit would be in our midst, that we might hear what you desire us to hear this morning. And We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So to give you all a little bit of context into where we are in John's gospel, you'll note that this is the, the beginning section or we find ourselves in the beginning section of the upper room discourse. There on that night when Jesus was about to be betrayed, John slows down his gospel account. He slows down that narrative and gives us this extended look into the final hours of Christ's ministry before he is ultimately betrayed and then led to the cross. It's in these chapters of John's gospel from chapters 13 to 17 where we get this intimate account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet of him giving the disciples this new command to love one another, the text that is before us this morning, and then this promise of the Holy Spirit, the image of Christ as the true vine. All of this comes to a culmination there in chapter 17 when Jesus prays that high priestly prayer. So my goal this morning is we consider this fairly well-known text in this account in the middle of the Upper Room Discourse is to, to set us up into this broader context of what Christ's words mean to us here and how it relates to us as we are seeking a, a ministry in the gospel, what it means for us as ministers of the gospel and those who are preparing for future ministry as well. And then to look also briefly at this conversation between Jesus and Philip that takes place right in the middle of our passage. In all of this, we're going to focus on Christ's call to believe in him. And to do this, we're going to look at two points this morning. If it was a Sunday morning, of course, there would be three points. But since it's a Tuesday, I felt it fine to do two points. So we're going to consider first the offense of the gospel and then also the offer of the gospel. So the offense and the offer. You'll note as a as verse 1 opens up, we are met with such words of comfort and assurance. As Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And what we see after this is Jesus here. He goes on to enumerate how he is going to prepare this place for his disciples. But as you know, as, the, as this conversation goes forward, the disciples themselves don't necessarily seem to be grasping exactly what Jesus is saying. What does Jesus really mean when he says that he is going to depart from us? I think this is the central question that's in the back of the disciples' minds as they sit together in the upper room. You'll note Thomas jumps in by asking this, Jesus, we don't know where it is that you are going and if we don't know where it is that you are going, how are we supposed to get there? And it's here in verse 6 where we are met with the response that Jesus gives to Thomas. He gives him this question. Or in response to Thomas's question, we see here the offensive nature of the gospel. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm almost certain here in this context that these words sound pretty familiar to us as those who are training for ministry, but if we take a step back to consider what is actually being said, I think these words come off as inherently offensive, and I think we see this in two ways primarily. The first way we can understand this and see their offensive nature is on a, a more broad scale. And the second way we can see this is on a more personal scale. In terms of the, the broad scale, the words that Christ gives here don't sound so great in the ears of our culture. This claim that Christ makes of himself, that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, that none come to the Father except through him, doesn't sound so good in a culture that prides itself on the values that express themselves in words such as, whatever path works for you, works for you. Truth is ultimately subjective, and what might be true for you doesn't necessarily have to be true for me. All roads eventually lead us to the same place in terms of the personal scale here. The words of Christ directly confront our inherent inability to save ourselves. Due to our sin, both as it's inherited, both in action and uh, by nature, you and I cannot make our way to the Father on our own accord. And yet these are the very words that we as ministers are called to proclaim week after week in the pulpit. That Christ is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It's a ministry that is often marked with offense, but it doesn't simply in there. It's an offense that also comes with an offer. And I think reconciling the offense of the gospel with the offer of the gospel comes down to how you and I understand this call that Jesus gives here to believe in him. And this leads us to our second point This morning, the offer. My hope is, is that this opening section of John chapter 14 is fairly familiar to you all. As those who are training for ministry, this is a a fairly familiar passage in the gospel accounts. But one of the things that we notice here is this conversation between Jesus and the disciples moves forward in the upper room. There's actually something that takes place in this conversation that I think merits our attention, merits us slowing down and considering what is actually taking place, what's actually being said, and it's in the middle of this account in this conversation between Philip and Jesus. Now, we don't know a lot about Philip, maybe say in contrast to Peter or to Paul, where throughout the New Testament, we really get a a sense and an understanding of who those men are, how their personalities come forward in the different accounts of their lives, But what we do know about Philip is that he's one of the 12 apostles of Christ. We read of his call earlier in John's gospel in chapter 1. There we read of Philip's call to follow Jesus. I'm looking at chapter 1, verse 43. We're picking up there. And there John records for us. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And now as we we pick up here in chapter 14, some three years later, Philip, after calling Nathaniel to come and see what Jesus is all about, is met with these words that Christ gives to him here, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And standing a little confused once more as we see the disciples don't necessarily understand what Jesus is getting at here in chapter 14, like Thomas, Philip jumps in and implores Jesus in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. It's interesting, I think, to see this connection between Philip's call to Nathanael to come and see what Jesus is all about And after spending some three years in this inner circle with Christ, as he's learning from him, as he's spending time with him, he is the one who is asking Jesus to show him something more. As you all know, the Gospel of John is the place that contains the I am statements in the New Testament. And here, as we look at chapter 14, we encounter the six of these seven I am statements that Jesus gives concerning himself and the interesting thing here is that commentators note that given this context behind Philip's question I think is this expectation of some sort of theophany there is maybe this expectation that is building that maybe the disciples here are finally going to get a peek behind the curtain a look at something extraordinary, something that is unseen up until this point in Christ's ministry. But it's in the response here in verse 9 that I want us to really focus our attention on. Here in verse 9, as Jesus responds to Philip, he, he, he gives him this question that I think pierces him right to his heart. He says this, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? I think these words, have I been with you so long, and you do not know me, or do you still not know me, should stop us in our tracks. I think this is really the real challenge of this passage. I think this small section in our passage is worthy of our attention to slow down and to consider what's actually taking place here between Jesus and one of his closest disciples. What's taking place at this point in the life of Philip is that he is someone who's been around Jesus for these three years, yet still fails to understand who Jesus is. And I think it's a trap that's so easy for us to fall into as well. It's the trap of being around Jesus and yet not knowing Jesus. Jesus. So what is the solution to this? I think we get an answer to this as we look at verse 11. I think here we see an offer of the gospel in our passage. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. I think this is the offer that Christ gives to us to believe in Him. Believe that he and the Father are one. And what we see also is this call to believe in Christ really is at the center of our passage. It's the framework that's set up in chapter 14. It's this call that Christ returns to over and over as as the disciples fail, I think, to understand what is taking place right before them. It's the offer that's given to Philip, and it's the offer that's given to you and I. It's the offer that we are also called as ministers to proclaim, despite its offensive nature. We are called to proclaim that Christ is the only way, and also offer that call to believe in him. So here's what I want to leave you with this morning as we turn to some points of application and encouragement. I think when you leave the halls of seminary and when you find yourself in the trenches of ministry and when it it comes to this ministry of proclaiming an offensive gospel with a Savior who claims to be the only way, you cannot sustain it just by knowing about Jesus. You can only do it knowing Jesus and with Jesus. I think it's easy for us to be around Jesus, and this is really easy in our own context as seminary students and and as pastors as well, where it seems like your entire existence is based uh, based around being with Jesus, but it's a trap that we can so easily fall into of simply being around and yet not knowing. When the phone call comes on Monday morning with the news of a church member who has died of cancer and you realize that you are going to be the one leading that graveside service, seeing the body actually go into the ground. With the session meeting that is still scheduled for that week and your sermon still not yet done, the only way that you can sustain and go forward in this is by knowing Jesus and by also being with Jesus. What I also want you all to notice is notice here is how kind and gracious Jesus is to Philip. That in his failure to understand what is right before him, the Lord gives him this call and com- these words of of such comfort. Whoever has seen me has also seen the Father. So as we draw this to a close, I, I think what lays at the heart of this passage is a reminder to us of how. The gospel is offered to us with this simple call to believe. To believe in Jesus, for he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Let's pray this morning. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we can spend just these brief moments reflecting on your promises given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. As here he offers us to believe in him, we ask that that would be the very thing we do by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we consider our ministry going forward, we ask that you would be with us, that we would simply not just be around Christ, but be in Christ, that we would know him as we seek to proclaim him. Lord, we offer all these prayers to you and we ask that you would seal them for the sake of Christ, for we pray all of this in his name this morning